HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. And this is our 345th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest represents some of the biggest and most influential people in the food world, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we'll have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to keep things fresh. Be open-minded and willing to try the new, whether it's a new approach, new experience, or new direction. Freshness helps us keep our spirits alive and our minds sharp by challenging us to think differently. You see, as kids, we are introduced to life's wonders constantly with a freshness to everyday life and every moment. Whereas as adults, we tend to settle more into a norm with our daily habits and routines and possibly lose that childlike joy and fall into a rut. So let's strive to avoid the mundane and do things that we're simply curious about or even afraid of as we may just discover that our old way is best to leave behind and keeping things fresh is a refreshing way to live. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm so excited to have my guest joining me today. It is Andrew Chasen. He's the co-founder of Fresh Management, who manages the careers of some of the world's most influential chefs and tastemakers, including Jose Andres, Kristen Kish, Aron Sanchez, Roy Choi, and Naisha Arrington. 
Fresh is a full-service boutique management company dedicated to helping its clients build lasting legacies through content, brand partnerships, live and virtual events, technology, value-added investment opportunities, and social good. A 20-year talent management and marketing veteran, Andrew was among the first to recognize that food entertainment would have a similar impact on pop culture as film, TV, sports, and music, and that chefs could become cultural icons. Prior to launching Fresh, he was the head of CAA Culinary, a division of leading entertainment and sports agency, Creative Artists, Artists Agency, which focused on representing high-profile culinary personalities. Without further ado, hi, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sherry. Thank you for having me. Well, I've, I've, you've been on my radar for a while, I have to say. I've always wanted to have you on and talk about your career, and I'm just thrilled, thrilled to have you here today and, and dive into everything you've done because, I mean, my bio I, I read back of yours is so I always kind of say a little too much, but I, I then I always say I didn't say anything. We really didn't get into it. So today we're going to get into it. <laughs> well, um Definitely happy to be speaking with you. I can't believe 345 shows is no joke. That is uh, prolific. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I know when I say the number myself, I'm sort of amazed that here I am, here we are. But yep, started in 2014 and just keep going. So Wow, um, that's amazing. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Congratulations to you and everything you've accomplished. I, I know a little bit from knowing you through the industry, but let's go back to the beginning or take us back to how you got started with your career. Um, what, what led you into, into the, the, the management and marketing space and, and then into the food space? Sure. Um, well, I had definitely had a, a bit of an unconventional way to get to the food space, uh, although I guess it probably didn't exist too greatly uh, prior to to, uh, to to me having a career. But I, I originally, I kind of had a, a very George Costanza-ish uh, uh, dream. I wanted to be the GM of, a, of an NFL team, um, yeah. and I ultimately went to school for sport management. Um, at, at UMass, uh, which is like an amazing program there. Um, they had actually set me up uh, to interview Mike Tannenbaum, who was uh, working with the Jets at the time. He wasn't the general manager yet, but ultimately would become one. And um, they, they set me up to, to go into his office, to have an interview with him. I walk into his office. It's amazing. It's like everything I want. It's every, every sports fan's dream. It's all the players listed on the wall, color-coded and who's a free agent and who's not and kind of like, you know, uh, uh, fantasy football on steroids slash, you know, the real deal. And before we even start the interview, first thing he says when he sits down is, so they tell me you want to be a GM in the NFL, just to be clear, you know, you have a much better chance of becoming a U.S. Senator, right? And Uh, it just kind of like crystallized for me and a few other things he said throughout the interview. And I said, all right, this is going to be a, uh, a long road to get there, especially as someone who, who didn't play, uh, you know, college football or ultimately pro football. Um, so after that, I kind of, um, uh, what I was open to doing, still wanting to, of course, be in sports, uh, uh, expanded and, 
I ended up going into the athlete representation side of the business. Um, the first company that I worked with had a bunch of uh, former players who had become uh, broadcasters. Uh, and then ultimately the second company I went to also had a lot of broadcasters. And so that was kind of how the television side of it came in. But ultimately, you know, my responsibility was finding marketing opportunities for uh, the athletes and the broadcasters that we that we represented. Um, and then kind of cut to uh, a bunch of years later, I was working at IMG, um, who was like, you know, the, the quintessential sports agency. They kind of started the business. Um, I like literally read textbooks on them when I was in school. Um, and it was uh, there where I ultimately ended up hiring a chef for something. Um, so I was forgot even who the company was, but ultimately they were looking for, uh, they were doing something with the, with major league soccer. Nobody was watching it at the time. They were bringing in the Mexican national team to basically go around city to city and play the different MLS teams. I think there were like six or eight at the time. And, uh, the brand who was sponsoring the, the, the tour, uh, went to one of my colleagues and said, hey, before each match, we're trying to like encourage people and families specifically to come to the stadium earlier. Can you like find us a Mexican or a Latin chef? Um, you know, to basically do some food before the matches and get there early. And so my colleague came to me as like the, the you know, talent marketing person and said, hey, can you, can you help us find a, a chef for this? Um, and I always loved food. I was like, yeah, 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 no problem. And um, this is like, just to give a little perspective, this is like Food Network is already established, but it's like nowhere near the like cultural, um, you know, kind of like phenomenon that it is now, nor was Food TV. Like this is right around the time where like MasterChef, uh, I think had launched the year prior, Top Chef was maybe the year after, uh, uh, Iron Chef was still around, but like next, the first season of Next Iron Chef was about to start production. So this is like that early in terms of, um, in terms of like where food entertainment slash food TV was. So right. yeah, I'll find you somebody. Go online, basically like start looking up Mexican or Latin chef. Um, couldn't find anybody, or I should say, Rick Bayless came up. You know who for. <laughs> As amazing as he is, uh, wasn't going to be the one representing, uh, you know, the, the Mexican national soccer team. And so I go home for the weekend. I'm watching Iron Chef, and the competitor in that week's episode comes out, and it was Aaron Sanchez wearing a Mexican flag bandana, and it said in the bottom of the screen that his, you know, his restaurant, and that was in New York City. So on, Mo I'm like, that's my guy. So on Monday, I called the restaurant. His sister was actually the GM at the time. And I ended up speaking to her, told her what we were looking to do. She was like, oh, we're actually doing this event tomorrow night. You should come down, meet Iran, go down, meet them. They were like such beautiful people. Ended up hiring him for this uh, like series of events. And then our relationship just kind of like built from there. And at one point he said, you know, hey, I'm already kind of doing stuff on Food Network, but I'm a, they want me to do this bigger show like well, you, you, do you want to do my contract, basically? Um, I said to him initially out of the gates, just not thinking that this was like a, you know, a, a viable, uh, like, thing uh, at the time. Uh, I was like, 
man, I'll just get you like an entertainment lawyer. Like it's, you know, the, it's a simple contract, simple television contract. Like you don't, you don't need an agent or, or manager. Um, and he was just like, I just want you to do it, man. And I think it purely came down to like him and I just having trust. I think chefs in general, you know, they, they just have this instinct to like want to work with people who they know will, you know, protect their best interests. And so I ended up doing this for him kind of spiraled from there. I had just a run while I was still working at IMG. Um, and then he ultimately introduced me to Marcus Samuelson. I was working on just those two guys while I was at IMG. Um, and I kind of saw that the same type of things that we were doing for our athletes in terms of getting them, you know, like brand partnerships and, and deals like that were, were happening much easier uh, than I had expected, or at least much more interest than I had initially expected. Um, and I went to my boss at the time and I was like, Hey, I, I, I really think there's something here with like the chefs, you know, can we, can we, you know, put some resources behind it. And he basically like looked at me and was like, look, you can keep like doing this while, while you're here with these two guys, but like you have a day job, your job is to like work on our athletes and our broadcasters and find them deals. And so uh, I think I did it for, I don't know, another few months or six months after that. And then eventually like went out on my own and said, I'm going to try this thing of, of representing chefs. And, you know, I, I really believed in like their ability um, to, to, like reach the zeitgeist, you know, and have food be, be part of, um, have food have this, have a similar impact as what, you know, like sports and, and entertainment and other, other, um, other genres, uh, were doing at the time. Well, you weren't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. But no one was talking about it back then, right? Yeah, like they yeah, are now. I, yeah. I mean, I think there were a few people who were, you know, who were, who were dabbling in it, um, but it certainly wasn't anywhere what it is now. And um, yeah, I'm really glad I trusted that instinct. Yeah. And I mean, with as a, as a publicist and working with restaurants and chefs, I mean, I started my agency in 2003 and I was doing it before that. So there was representation of, of chefs and restaurants going on and, you know, at least the PR side of things. There was stuff, but like you're, you're, what you started to do and represent chefs and, you know, this as, as talent in the, the way you did, you were definitely, definitely ahead of the curve and saw something. Um, and it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And I, I love that, um, Aron has been with you since forever, um, that, and, and that you've maintained that relationship. Um, what was your time like at, uh, CAA culinary with the CAA. <laughs> um, it was great. I mean, it was a very, you know, the, the agency is incredible on so many levels, you know, they're, they're the best at what they do for a, a lot of reasons. Um, and, you know, I originally went over there cause, uh, uh, my longtime mentor and, and friend, uh, runs their sports group. Um, and, you know, I'd always talked to him about when I was, especially when I was on the sports side of like, you know, eventually wanting to to work with him. Obviously, I'd taken this other path into to working in the food space. Um, they were by by this point, because now you're talking, um, I guess, six years later. Um, by this point, like food had already started to bubble to the point where it was being taken seriously as um, as a uh, you know, as, as again, a, a part of pop culture. Um, and so 
ultimately ended up talking with with these guys and 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 thought going over there uh, was an opportunity for us to like expand what we what we were doing. So not just representing talent, but we we really wanted to like grow our events business. We wanted to get into like the brand consulting world where we could help brands figure out how to tap into uh, uh, food entertainment, food culture as a way to like reach their audiences and, and achieve whatever they were trying to achieve. So it was a combo. It was a, it was a much bigger, um, you know, just building a network of people to go into. And so we learned a ton being in there. You know, you could tell working in a building like that, why they're as accomplished as they are, because you could see the way that they know how to package different things together. They know how to, you know, work with with colleagues to help grow people's career beyond what they might think is the obvious thing to do, which for us is like a huge part of, of what drives us every day. Like we want our chefs to be, to be successful in the things that are, that are obvious, like, you know, being on TV and books and, and brand partnerships and all these other things. But what we really want is for chefs to, to, to transcend food, you know, for them to be looked at as, um, you know, as, as, as real tastemakers and, and culture movers, and not only to be looked at as a, as a food personality, but somebody that could be looked at as someone that knows how to just, create things that people want to engage with on a consistent basis. And so being in a building like that, you know, you're really able to like take advantage of a lot of different uh, departments and, and people. And so for us, it was, um, it was, it was a really like great experience. Like we wouldn't have traded it, you know, for, for anything. I think we had, as it relates to like the events and the brand consulting, we had a great run on the event side. We really were building that business uh, at a great pace. The pandemic obviously <laughs> slowed that significantly. Um, and on the brand consulting side, we had like mixed results. Like it didn't really grow to what we we thought it was going to be, but not because of, of the brands not wanting to engage in it. It's just like brands looking at it purely from a, all right, we're going to we're going to have one agency that only does our culinary um, programming is I think just not realistic because there are so many you know other agencies that they already have that they work with that are that are working across sports and entertainment and culinary falls within that bucket if they're going to do anything there so but you know nothing but great things to say about that place yeah and you were you worked um a bit with um nikki reese through yes she was running our events group and she is a gem and still is yes yes i agree i agree so did the pandemic, what happened in the pandemic? Is that when, when you decided, um, is that when you left and, and decided to form your own company or were you, were you thinking of doing your own company before the pandemic? Um, or going back to having your own company, I should say. Well, I guess there's two, two parts to that question there. Uh, in terms of uh, leaving CAA, it was, you know, obviously all of these agencies were, uh, you know, at a crossroads. A lot of their businesses were um, in limbo. You didn't know where things were going to be, especially like on the music side and film side. And um, you didn't know when things were going to pick up again and, and start going. And for, you know, agencies of that size, um, it could be, you know, significant, significant revenue. And so um, we had great relationships with our leadership there. And ultimately, you know, we, we 
knew that we weren't like the core business of what they did. Um, and so we were able to like figure out uh, a very amicable split and, um, and basically in essence, take back our old business. So when we had come in there, we had Jigsaw. That was what we basically brought to CAA. Then we launched their culinary group. So in essence, we were a small management uh, company. We went into CAA. We ended up having a lot more clients than what we had when we first got there. And when we you know, were going through those first handful of months of the pandemic, the idea of going back to you know, having a small group and, and being you know, really focused and targeted with less clients was super appealing. Um, and so we had, a, we had a smooth of a, of a transition from being at that agency to ultimately launching fresh management. Um, and I, by the way, I like your, uh, at the top of your, 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 your tip. Uh, I like the fresh nod. We agree. That was obviously our, our, our thinking behind the name was fresh start and fresh approach and, and all of those things. So, um, Good. I'm glad. <laughs> I hope you liked it. I loved it. Uh, but then the second part of the of the of your question, which I think is how the pandemic, you know, impacted us. Um, to be totally honest, like we had almost zero drop off in business. Um, there was a couple of factors there. Number one was that uh, television productions picked back up in August of 2020. They were like one of the first things to come back, specifically in unscripted television, which is obviously where most of our clients play. So they were back filming shows pretty quickly. Um, the second thing was that virtual appearances, which we would have lost, you know, a lot of event business or which, which that event business can be stuff that we're, you know, booking our clients for, and it could be stuff that we were, what Nikki was running, where we were creating uh, event, creating and executing events on behalf of, uh, of, of companies. Um, we made up so much of that business in virtual appearances, it was crazy. Like, for whatever reason, and I think it, it does make sense, like cooking virtual appearances played so well during the pandemic. It's like everybody's home, everybody needs to cook. You know, people who love to cook want to learn more. People who didn't know how to cook were forced to figure out how to cook. Um, and so, and it was, and it just worked for being like, I, I always say like, they were doing it across all these different genres. It was happening in, in music and, and other areas, but like in music, okay, your favorite artist like picks up a guitar and plays to a, you know, a virtual audience. It's cool, but it's like, it's certainly not going to replicate what that's like live and I'm like the biggest music junkie in the world so like I I don't say that as like a knock to anyone who was doing it but I I just don't think it 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 translated in the way that food virtually translated where it's like it just made sense it's like hey I'm, I'm in my home kitchen I'm going to show you how to do these things all these companies that were trying to maintain engagement with their employees who were now working from home it just worked so well so we had like literally zero drop off um from uh, the pandemic to, uh, in those to, to those first two years of of, uh, of fresh. Wow, that's amazing, and and your I mean, it makes sense. And um, let's talk a little about your clients because your list is pretty impressive. I mean, we'll we'll talk about Jose a little later in the show with his show, but um, I mean, you're working. I mean, you've worked with Roy Choi for a long time. You're you're working with. Uh, Naisha Arrington, you're working with Carla Hall, you've got, I mean, you've, I mean, it's, it's incredible. So, so 
tell me more about how you were working working with these different chefs. Um, well, I agree. They are definitely all incredible uh, talents, but also just amazing human beings, which is really the barometer for us. Um, yeah. Like it's it's the thing that we really look for the most. Um, and it was something that even as we've grown, I wouldn't even say this specifically to the, the, the food, the culinary side of things. I think as you grow as a, a manager or an agent or anyone who works in like talent representation, you realize how important as time goes on that like the quality of the people beyond just their their talent or their career is so like crucial to to like your your sanity your, your path your passion well <laughs> sometimes your sanity but like your passion and your drive for wanting the best for them and and really yeah. understanding them because so much of like representing talent is understanding like what is important to them where are they trying to go what's the stuff that um that that gets them excited uh how do we like have a vision for where it's going to be in a year and ultimately years down the road, which isn't always a straight line, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I always say like, we're, we're fortunate to work with the folks that we, that we work with. Like they're all, they're all great talents. They're all great people. And ultimately, and I, and, and I honestly don't care. Am I allowed to curse on this show? Yes. Occasionally, yes, okay. only, only for emphasis. Um, Go for it. <laughs> Um, the, the only, uh, any, any talent, uh, manager or representative that says that they're like the reason their clients are doing so well is completely full of shit. You know, like they're, the talent is the reason why they get opportunities. You know, we might, we might help them identify opportunities and certainly help like negotiate the best opportunities for them. But ultimately they're the artists. They're the ones that people want to work with. And so how they, um, what they have already put out into the world that, that ultimately generates opportunities um, is because of them, you know? And so, so our job is to obviously like figure out, all right, how do we, how do we help get to the next level or how do we make sure that uh, it's worth what you're doing or how does this impact other parts of it? And so we do look at it from more of like a, a 360 standpoint because um, uh, different things do impact, you know, other things that they have going on and, and you might take something now that then prevents you from doing it, you know, down the road and you have to have an understanding of the landscape and what's out there, uh, which happens a lot on the television side. It's like you can take an opportunity um, that might be like a burden hand, but you might be preventing yourself from getting a bigger opportunity uh, down the road, which is not guaranteed. And so you have to weigh those different things. Um, and so what I love about our clients is like, A, they all know who they are. They're totally true to themselves uh, in every respect. Um, they, they are very clear in terms of the stuff that they do and don't want to do, which makes it a lot easier as a, as a manager to say, okay, let's, let's do this or let's not do this. Um, and ultimately, um, they're all different. Like, I think what we, what I, one of the things we love about our, our, our roster is like a lot of times if we're working on an opportunity, we have a really clear, uh, 
point of view on who is the right person for that opportunity. Like we're going out and we're pursuing things individually for clients, but there are times when somebody comes and says, hey, we're looking for this talent for X, Y, and Z. It could be a television show. It could be a brand partnership. It could be whatever. But um, And they don't really know what they're looking for. But then the more that they tell us about, you know, what what it is, what the what either what the product is or what the show is or whatever, the fact that we can say like, Hey, this person makes the most sense for this because of because of these reasons is like such a great place to be in. Whereas I think when you have a really large roster of people, it's hard to do that because A, you might have multiple people who make sense for it, which does happen, you know, um, for sure. But for the most part, we usually have a have a really strong feeling about which person is the right one for that. And that's because they have really clear points of view on who they are and what they stand for. Um uh, or what their 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 culture is, or the cities yeah. they represent, or whatever, and that is like such a beautiful thing. Um, and I think we also are in the spot where like our clients they commit to what they're going to do. You know, like one of the like people. A lot of times, people will ask me like, "What's the difference between representing athletes and representing chefs?" Um, and this is not a knock on athletes, by the way. This is more just like I think the reality because a you certainly have athletes who don't get caught in this and also you have athletes that just grow as they get older but like an athlete was put on a pedestal most most likely was put on a pedestal from when they're like 13 14 15 16 years old and they're the best at what they do in their town and then maybe the best at what they do in their college and then they get drafted to the pros and like you know for them to understand how to work with brands or in television or whatever is not it's not it's not the first thing they want to do and for chefs the you know the, the restaurants are their core business that or was or in some cases was their core business or still is their core business um but so to do these other things you have to really like commit to it there are some people who are just naturally gifted like Aron is just he's he's as good of a brand partner as you want. Cause it's so like innate in him to like understand what it means to be a partner. Um, uh, and he's always been that way. And other people like Kristen on the television side, like she was always good on television. She obviously like was getting opportunities for a reason, but she committed so hard to like honing her craft as a television host. And I think you saw that reflected in iron chef and, and the work that she did on there where she was like, she was the standout star of that show um, because she put the work in, you know, and she really uh, wanted to get there. And so I think working when just bringing this kind of back to the um, analogy I was making with the athletes, like um, they're the, the, these people like have have put in the work to say, I'm going to build my business beyond the restaurants and I'm going to do it in a way that's like truly representative of who I am. Um, and and that's 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 not as simple as just showing up and being like, cool, I got an opportunity and now I'll just like go shake some hands or I'll go on camera and like read some lines. It's like it's work to be good at it. It's work to maintain those relationships and it's work to keep getting opportunities um, within that space. Wow. Amazing. Um, I, I kind of asked casually my question from my last guest, but I'm, which you pretty much just answered, but I'm going to read it back now and see if there's anything else to add, where she asked, um, on episode 344, I had on Carolyn Schiff. She is the executive pastry chef of Gage and Tolner in downtown Brooklyn, New York. And if you haven't been, I highly recommend going. Her desserts are fabulous. And 
fabulous restaurant all around. So she wanted to know, with the handful of chefs that you represent, how do you go about creating and curating specific deals and partnerships with them for their brand? And what does that entail? How do you personalize all the partnerships, media deals, and get to know your clients and make something special for them? Um, so I don't know if you have a specific example of that or more to add from what you were just talking about. Um, well, I think some of what I was just saying, you know, uh, relates back to that. Um, ultimately, when we're, whether we're sourcing an opportunity or whether an opportunity is coming into us because of, you know, existing relationships we have, or somebody's like casting a wide net for somebody. And I, and I mean this generally again, whether that's a television op or a brand partnership or, um, you know, getting an advisor role or, or something along those lines. Like it, it, I would say it's less about curating an opportunity and more about just being really discerning when you, when you look at, when you consider something, right? And what our recommendations are to our clients, whether to do it or not to do it, you know? Um, something that we have always, this was probably the first thing I noticed when I started working with chefs versus athletes was that, um, and I think this still holds true today. And I think that this is still unique to chefs compared to athletes or any other entertainers. They have core business with their restaurants and the restaurants are something that they've like poured their souls into. It's obviously an expression of their art and the stuff that we do can impact that work positively and negatively, you know? And so for us making sure that the things that we uh, bring to them, the things that we either recommend them doing or recommend them not doing um, is driven a lot by how much it's going to impact that, that, reputation and and this thing that they've built that you know is is like any other artist it's like it's it's personal and it's and it's um and it's 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 special you know and so we we put a lot into that's kind of like our barometer is like okay before we even like negotiate a deal or get too deep into the money or any of those things. It's like, is this right for that person? You know? And so when we bring it to them, we've come to them with a point of view. Um, it's their call ultimately, <laughs> whether to like take our recommendation or not. Um, and for the most part, I think that we're usually pretty aligned with our clients, whether we feel like something is the right or wrong thing to do. Um, I would say like 98% of the time we're like on the same page with that. Um, so I think it's less about curating and more about having a shared vision with your client in terms of the stuff that you want to do. Um, bringing opportunities that, you know, are at the level and, and meet the standards that they have. Um, and then once we agree to do it, making sure that whatever that deal looks like is, you know, is representative of their value. Um, it, it's something that it, it, it's worth their time. It's worth their, um, uh, their energy. It's worth them putting it out into the world. And that's a combination. It's not just money. It's also like making sure the creative is right. It's making sure that, um, it's a brand, if it's a brand deal, that it's somebody that they could be proud to like stand alongside of and something that they would genuine, you know, genuinely use. Um, so I would say it's more that than, than curating. Got it. 
One, one more question before we take a break. Are most your, I mean, not, not people you've been working with for, for 20 years, but the, are, are your newer clients, are they mostly people that are coming to you seeking representation or people that you're, that you are, I guess, scouting more or is it kind of a combination? Um, I don't think with the exception of Jose, I don't think we've ever gone after one client. Um, every client that we've had, we have, or have had over the years, um, has been through either a personal like connection, one of our other clients kind of naturally happened. The only one was Roy, who was already at CIA when we got there and had um, uh, someone pointing him while we were there. She ultimately ended up leaving. He and I built a relationship and so we continued to work together today, but we've never really gone after clients. And part of that is because of just, if I'm, if I'm being honest and not to like burst people's bubble because because I do think that there's um, there's room for everybody to to want to go pursue whatever they want to pursue um, uh, especially in this entertainment space but for us we try to um, be really selective about a the number of people we work with and who we work with because I think it's actually a pretty small pool of opportunities um, as big as food as a whole is, and food is obviously like a monster part of pop culture. It's a huge part of uh, a content now. It's a huge part of uh, social media. Um, it's obviously something that every person in the world is like interacting with on a daily basis. As it relates to like being a personality within this food entertainment world, there's like a pretty small amount of opportunities compared to other areas, you know? And so when we um, work with somebody, it's because we, we really believe either it's well it's either really clear and obvious like in the case of of jose or um or Aron or roy um or we really believe that they can get there um and that, that we can help them do it in the case of like naisha and Kristen are great recent examples of that where they both are having like these huge leaps in their careers uh, again due to their own work but just like we felt like they were they were they they had what it was going to take to get there and that still has to come with some luck but i think the reason why we don't just kind of like because we do get asked a lot to work with people people that are amazing that are like so good at what they do and that frankly like could have huge careers within this entertainment space but for us like we have to manage our bandwidth um it's something that to this day we still my partner danielle and i always talk about is like making sure we are being really smart about uh how we manage that working you know the like everyone wants to do working like you know smarter um and so we don't end up taking on a lot of people we don't end up like identifying a lot of people that we want to go after it doesn't mean we're not paying attention to what's going on out there right um yeah. and we probably we probably lost some opportunities because we're like that but to be honest i'm happier that we have that mentality versus like being in the business of just like signing people and sign because a lot of people sign people because they don't want to lose out on what it can be where for us we want to like work with people who we believe that we can grow together and build businesses not just build like representing them as talent but like really build businesses together that are long lasting and um you know will hopefully you know live beyond our 
our, you know, um, relationship together. Fantastic. And that note, let's take a little break and we will come back. We'll play my speed round. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Andrew Chasen. He's the co-founder of Fresh Management. And Andrew, it is time for my speed round. Are you ready? Born ready. Yeah, I figured you might say something like that, and you are. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things like such as chocolate or vanilla, and you get to pick your preference, um, and uh, that's how it will go. Love it. So here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Oh, eat out. Easy. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Indoor for sure. I'm all about the energy, the vibe, the music. And also I feel like the indoor is like the, um, that's that's the representation of what the chef or operator's vision is. So I prefer indoor. It's funny. I think Caroline in the last show just said something very similar. Okay. Um, Smart lady. Yeah, yeah. Smart guests I have here. <laughs> okay, wine, Sorry beer. Sorry to ruin that. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, 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 you're. Perfect. Okay. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Uh, Good tequila on the rocks. Okay. Love it. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Unless unless it's omakase. (laughs) That's a good one. I like it. Small plates or large plates? Uh, small plates, but enough to share with the table. Okay, good. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Oof. Do you ask your question? Do you ask that question to everybody? I do, and this is the one that always I uh, gets people a bit stumped, and that turns into a conversation. And I say we have to have a whole show about it. But we're oh, not. Man, we're yeah. just going to do it fast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm for tipping, but uh, I subscribe to the My Blue Heaven Vinnie Antonelli method, which is it's not tipping, I believe, and it's over tipping. Ah, okay. 
That yeah. might be a first of saying, I mean, people have, I think, said that in their own way, but um, I always like firsts on the show. It's still, after my, all these episodes, I still get so many original answers in this game, which is amazing. <laughs> well, My Blue Heaven is a heavily underrated movie, so um, that's where okay. it comes from. Okay, I like it. <laughs> um, I have a few more. Koji, barbecue, or best friend? Ooh. Well, Kogi's the OG, so, uh, but best friend is is pretty special. I, I, I think it depends on the mood. I've actually been to both, believe it or not, and I enjoyed both. Well, I've had, I've had bar the last time I was in LA and I did get to see you out there. I was driving by, sorry, I would say Koji, it's Kogi. Am I saying yes. it wrong? Hard G. Kogi. Um, I did a drive-by of one of, you know, I was just passing by, just pulled up in my fabulous convertible and had some, had a meal in my car. Fantastic. But best friend is cool. Well, best friend. But I think best friend's the coolest, uh, coolest restaurant on the strip. Unlike anything else out there. Can I, can I, can I share, can I share a secret with you that hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, but, um, Yes. Uh, my my wife and daughter are both vegan, and I have a Kogi truck that's like less than ten minutes from my house. And every now and so I pretty much eat vegan at home. So like when I really need to eat some meat, I will I will like go run an errand in quotes and like go pop by the truck and just like pound two spicy pork tacos. And do you think she really doesn't know? Uh. I, I don't know the answer to that, but <laughs> if she does, if she doesn't, she's, 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 uh, she's playing it well. So. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to tell her. No one listening uh, out there. Tell her, please. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you have one it. less subscriber, it's because I, I unsubscribe <laughs> my wife from this podcast. Okay, cool. Um, I have a couple more. I have, I have Felix or mother wolf on my, as a choice. Ooh. I, like I haven't question. been to Mother Wolf yet because because uh, it opened after my last trip. Yes, well, Felix is my that's my that's my number one. I live close to it. It's probably the restaurant I've eaten at more than any other restaurant in LA. Well, not probably. It definitely is. Um, so I'm 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 Felix Felix loyalist, but Mother Wolf is also amazing. Okay, cool. A bonus one I was thinking I should ask is um, representing athletes or chefs. Oh, chefs for sure. Yeah, I figured that's the way you'd go now. Um, I mean, sounds like it to me. Okay, last two are cheese plate or dessert? Dessert, for sure. I don't get the cheese plate. You don't get the cheese plate. I'm a dessert person too, but I have to say doing the show, and I don't have the exact stats, but it's kind of 50-50 on it. Really? But people go for cheese, that's, yeah. That's surprising to hear. At the end of a meal, I just have like zero interest in eating a bunch of cheese but <laughs> you know teach their yeah. own teach their own and my last one's manhattan brooklyn or los angeles Ooh, brooklyn brooklyn, brooklyn. Ooh, you went to brooklyn cool yeah the best thing my the best thing that uh my my proudest dad moment was when we first moved out here uh somebody said to my daughter uh like oh so are you an la girl now and she looked at them completely deadpan and goes i'll always be a brooklyn girl and I was like, I'm done. My job here is done. Very, very, very cool. And yeah, we didn't really, I mean, for people, we'll 
figure it out now, but you're, you're living in Los Angeles now, whereas you used to live in New York. That's right. So, um, well, that's the game. That was fun. I love it. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you. So for industry news, a couple things we could talk about. Um, first, from the, the Washington Post, I had a piece entitled, Jose Andres Gives Daughters a Taste of Spain in Charming New TV Series, and this is by Tim Carmen. And this came out a couple weeks ago, and it is now streaming on Discovery+. Plus. Um, and I have my free trial this week of going of Discovery Plus um, and, have, and, and basically binge watched the whole series and loved it. Um, I mean, how can you, it's like, how can you not? It's Jose with his daughters traveling around Spain and eating delicious food and having these awesome experiences as well. Not, it's not just straight like, I mean, it's, there's a lot of activity happening and um, I really have, really enjoyed it. Um, I know you work with Jose. So is this, did you do this deal? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I'm so happy you like the show and I couldn't agree more. There's, there's, a, there's too many good ingredients to not enjoy it. Um, yes. But yes, I did, did work on this deal and um, it was really, it was a, it was important because it was the first show that Jose has done in the States um, really ever. He had a huge show in Spain He's done some things here, obviously, here and there from a television perspective. But, you know, when he ultimately made the, the decision to launch his own production company um, and, and, you know, do a show and we were trying to determine, like, what's the first show to go out with, um, you know, the, the beginning of the pandemic, as you can see, I know he tells the story in a lot of these articles, but, you know, he was at home, he was cooking a bunch with his daughters uh, on his Instagram, and it was just getting so much love because it was, like you said, it was just like a beautiful thing. It was like, yeah. it was playful, it was fun, it made you hungry. You know, he's obviously, you know, operating at a very different level than a lot of other people. And the fact that his daughters are like the people who, you know, still just look at him as dad and can kind of bring them down to that level is like an, a, an amazing thing that I think everybody can relate to. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, when you do a show like this, I think the biggest thing is, um, A, it takes a really long time to shoot. Like these travel uh, travelogues, like they are, it's a lot of time. Uh, it's a lot of time of going to different places and then you add in the, for, for anyone who does it, and then you add in the fact that he has three daughters, all at different ages, one finishing up high school, one in college, one uh, living in New York and, and has a career. And so you've got to, you know, get them all out there for a bunch of days. He obviously needs to make sure that like, if he's going to put his daughters on TV, it's something that's going to really like represent who they are and something that he can be proud of. And they had never done anything like this before. Um, and the first thing I will say is like, his girls are such naturals. Like I, I and every person who worked on this show was so impressed by how quickly they picked it all up by how much, like there were times when like they, they, they were, they were like the director's best friends because like when Jose is like doing whatever he wants to do and he's like, 
you know, kind of not moving it to the next scene or moving on to the next thing. Like they were so good at picking it up and they knew how to ask their dad the right question to like get it to to move on to the next segment. Um, But the best part of the show is that it's just like, it's real, you know, it's like, it's who they are. It's this incredible journey that you get to go on with them. And, you know, I got to give like a ton of credit to Richard Wolf, who's his uh, producing partner and to Newtopia, um, who's the, the, the production company on it. Like they, they just made an incredible show. And um, I think that it's it's the first travelogue I've seen. Obviously, like Bourdain is the gold standard. Nobody is ever going to be him. And, and that was a big part of it is like, if you're going to travel and do something, how do you make sure that no one's going to compare it to that? And obviously having it be with him and his daughters, I think makes it a totally different thing. Um, and I think it's like, it's my favorite. And I say this, I, I know obviously I, not going to be seen in the other way as being biased but like it's my favorite travel log that i've seen um food travel log since since bourdain because it is just like it's fun it's an escape you know i everything you said besides that i didn't work on this part of the deal but i agree with everything i mean <laughs> it's, it's beautifully shot his daughters are amazing on the show and you get to know them and and you you see Jose, I mean, as their family, you see them in a different, you see them as a family. And I remember watching those Instagram cooking videos during the pandemic, and it was so joyful and entertaining and what people needed. Um, and I also know, I mean, Jose, with all the work he does and going to Ukraine and like all that, I mean, such serious operations he's been involved in and to see him with his family and and just finding the the joy and the beauty of food and and introducing it to people I mean anyone watching the show and I recommend it to anyone listening um it's like you're just gonna want to get a ticket to Spain (laughs) as soon as totally no 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 question about it I mean and and um, you're and you're gonna want to hang out with Jose and his daughters which (laughs) (laughs) so Uh, i was just just gonna add one thing to what you said which is the craziest part about this was like when we started filming the show like the war in ukraine hadn't started yet so we filmed the first episode and then and then we paused because there was a number of reasons for there being breaks in between because you were timing it to certain like events that were happening in certain times of season to be in certain areas um and so there was this you know, natural pause that we had in there. Then we had a, a natural uh, pause. Uh, yeah, well, something that was planned, and then yeah, we also yeah, had, yeah, and yeah. then we, and then we had a not natural pause because we had like a COVID delay on it, and then the war in Ukraine happened, and so Jose was obviously like on the ground, you know, right away, um, and so we were filming. There was one episode, uh, well, I guess two episodes that we were filming where he had three days off and he literally came in from ukraine to actually start filming we had three days off he got immediately uh on a on a plane back to ukraine was there for the entire time that he was off and then and then came back to finish filming um and like a that just shows what like an incredible commitment he has to, to to doing what he does and 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 being there um and the other thing is what um, I don't even know if I'm supposed to share this, but like one of his daughters went with him, you know, because she cared and she wanted to, to be there and be support and, and support and do what she can. Um, and it also shows you the trust that he has in his daughter to like bring her into that, you know, environment. And, um, and so that's what they did on their three days off from filming. 
Oh my God. Wow. No, that's, I mean, thank you for sharing all that. And I mean, Jose, I always say he's my hero, but he's everyone's hero. And just, it's kind of, it's just incredible the work he does and who he is as a human being. And I was, I mean, in the middle of this too, last year, I was fortunate to go do a screening of We We Feed People, um, his documentary with with Ron Howard and and I saw him at the party and he's just uh he's just I love Jose <laughs> special special human sure you hear that all the time so okay so we're a little short on time um we were going to talk a bit about might skip over it but we can mention it really fast we were talking a little about the bear which I actually haven't talked about on the show I mean it the series another thing people should watch and this this is on um FX Hulu and the the bear has done really well this year. Um, Jeremy Allen White got just got accepted the award for the best performance by an actor in a TV musical or comedy at the 2023 Golden Globes, which came out last week. And he's the he's the main character, the star of this this show. Um, the article that I was referring to was um, in the Hollywood Reporter, but. Um, What's your take on the bear? You've 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 watched. I have. I I love it. I mean, I think they did an incredible job. Um, obviously, capturing like they, they did that. They did the business that the industry is a service. They they really captured it well. That seventh, I think it's the seventh episode of the yeah. season where twenty seven minute straight through episode is like I've heard chefs say like. I can't even watch it because it's like PS, you know, it's like PTSD. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, they did such an amazing job of of capturing it. I love the way they play off of like the high and the low that it's like he comes from, you know, the normal level restaurant, but he's at like a roast beef shop, which I think is such a huge part of our world is that there is this beautiful high and low and it's all relevant. Um, But to me, the best part of the show is like, I root for anything that's food related that breaks the to be mainstream, you know? And so for the yeah. fact that this show has had the impact that it's had and that it's reaching these types of audiences, I think is so beautiful. I think it's so good for like our industry because it's actually done at a high level. Um, and so I'm a huge fan. I can't wait for the second season and I'm happy to see it like getting the accolades um, that it's getting. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, it was intense. I enjoyed I. I'm a fan too. I mean, it was intense watching some of the shows and, and because of its, because of its realness, which gives a lot of credit to the production. And um, I know they're, yeah, they're, they're going into season two. So kudos to them. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good, it's a good watch. Um, yeah. But the, the showrunner and, you know, um, Chris Storer and his sister, who was actually, uh, you know, Courtney. comes from the food world. Yeah. Courtney. Like, yeah. like, and, and obviously Maddie's on it. Like, I just feel like the fact that they got it so right um, is just, it's, there's so many things that happen in a television show, especially a scripted show to go from like the idea on paper to what it's going to be at the end. And the fact that they nailed it as much as they did is like, you know, yeah. just can't say enough good things about them for doing it. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Amazing TV out there in the culinary world. So um, before my Solo Dining experience, just one other article just to bring 
attention to it, people should go read in the New York Times. There's an article out that just came out yesterday called How Restaurant Workers Help Pay for Lobbying to Keep Their Wages Low. The National Restaurant Association uses mandatory $15 food safety classes to turn waiters and cooks into unwitting funders of its battle against minimum wage increases. And this was by David A. Fairholt and Timon Joseph Smith. It's a it's an eye opener. I don't know. I think that that I mean, the title kind of says it all. And that's all I'll say on it. But um, it's it's uh, it's worth it's worth reading and and noting, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, the IRC, um, the article which is mentioned in the article was like near and dear to my heart and was something that I um, was, you know, very closely uh, involved and spent a lot of time with the people, um, you know, uh, running it and driving it at the beginning of the pandemic. Yes. Amazing work you did in the whole IRC. I've done, I've done, covered it a bit on here, but yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, it's all the, it's, it's, it's definitely not me. It's all the other people involved, and especially Erica, the executive director. But like when you see something like this um, come out, you just, you just like, in some yeah. ways, shake your head, and in other ways, be like, it's not that surprising, you know, that this has been happening, and it's um, it's why I think the IRC put aside what it was originally created for, because obviously it was created to be like try to address one very specific issue at the beginning of the pandemic. It's why I think so. It's so needed, and I wish that like every restaurant every independent restaurant out there would understand what the value of having someone like the irc out there fighting for them is regardless of what it is obviously there's like a million things that you could be spending time on but just having one group that is the voice specifically for independent restaurants is so important and so needed and it's because things like this can be out there and happening and you don't even realize it or it's not realized it and you know it's not realized until um too late or, you know until yeah. it's too late or or you know and so i anyway i i could spend 30 minutes talking about this yeah but if, you know if you ever were going to have somebody on the show it would be like an incredible guest would be erica from the irc she is yeah a special amazing person i've met her before and i think i should I, I mean i would love to so um yeah maybe later this year we can make that happen because yeah the work you the work the irc has done is is great so really great. Okay. For my solo dining experience this week, it's that day trip. It's a little bit of a flashback, uh, but I decided to share a place in California since you're on the West Coast. So why not? Okay. So here's the rundown. The location, 4316 Telegraph Avenue in Oakland, California. The concept, it's a wine bar with fermentation-driven party food. It says, no it says that nothing that takes itself too seriously. It's playful and they want to have fun with their guests. Or they want the guests to have fun, I should say. <laughs> Owners, Chef Finn Stern and Stella Denick. Why'd I go? Well, I'd read about this place and um, it sounded, I mean, it said it had a funky and fearless concept and it received some accolades and I was intrigued. So it sounded good. So my experience, I was in San Francisco after the Worlds of Flavor Conference, which is in Napa in early November, um, and I decided to drive over to Oakland. Um, I didn't have a reservation. I went early when they near when they opened at five, and I just got a seat at the bar counter. Um, 
a really lovely time. The service was really, uh, all the servers were really nice and it felt, you know, it had a good vibe. It was casual, chill. Um, food came out pretty fast and um, I really enjoyed everything. So what did I get? I got their celery salad with lemon verbena chlorophyll and habanero and Sardinian sheep's cheese. I got the hot focaccia, which was overnight sourdough, had red bug heirloom wheat, basil oil, and house-made fruit vinegar. And I got the miso butter pasta, which was a house-made pasta with tomato miso, kelp pearls, gochugaru, and marash chilies. And yes, I don't exactly know what all of these ingredients are, but my take, I absolutely love the celery salad. I mean, I wasn't going to get it because celery salad, honestly, that does not, reading it on paper doesn't excite me that much, but this was like the best, most delicious salad. I would highly recommend it. It was just full of flavor. It was fantastic. And the bread was fantastic as well. And the pasta, um, which they make in-house, was also wonderful. And that's one of their signatures. So it was a really great meal. The ambiance. So it's casual, intimate space. It has this funky 1970s vibe. It has a disco ball glimmering in the middle of the dining room. And in the back, they have a heated patio. I'd say it's perfect for dinner with friends as the food is actually meant to be shared. And it is a wine bar. Um, I didn't have any wine, but they are known for their wine. Interesting tidbit, Day Trip was named on Bon Appetit's 10 Best New Restaurants 2022 list. And personal fun fact, while I was out in Oakland, I also decided to stop by Tacos Oscar, which is a great taco place, and they had some really nice tacos. The cost of my meal at Day Trip was $50, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Their website is thisisdaytrip.com and Instagram, this.is.daytrip. There you go. Have you heard of this place, Andrew? Till now. I have not. <laughs> but it sounds delicious. It was really good. I mean, it's like a bit funky, but really, really, really solid. I would say worth worth the drive over the bridge. I love it. I usually fly into Oakland, so I'll check it out. Oh, cool. Um, okay, so it's time for the final question. So very, very exciting. Next week, my guest is John George von Richten, one of the world's most famous chefs. He was also a savvy businessman and restaurateur. He is responsible for the operation and success of 60 restaurants worldwide, including his acclaimed flagship, John George, in New York City. And he recently opened the Tin Building by John George down at the, south, at the seaport. And we're going to do my show from the Tin Building. So, Andrew, can you please ask a question for John George? Ooh. Well, my first question would be, how do you, how do you stay so handsome for so long? Um, I was going to ask my, him that. Uh, yeah. All right. I'll leave that one for you. Um, I guess my question would be like, you know, he, he's been doing this for so long and he's so accomplished and um, I don't know anyone who says a bad word about him is like when he goes into a new project at this point, what are the things that actually drive him to like, cause I'm sure he gets asked a lot to do to do things and people are coming at him what's the what are the the things i guess that um that drive him to to say yes or no to uh to an opportunity on the, with, with regards to restaurants great question i will find out um let me know i'll just listen just listen yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah yeah listen <laughs> 
I need, I mean, I might, I might be losing a, a listener this show. We'll have to see. So I need to keep you. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to, don't worry. I'll resubscribe her after my, after my episode. So. <laughs> Thank you. And that's the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I mean, you're, I said it, I've said it at the beginning or I've sent you offline too. Like, I'm just so impressed with your career and everything you've established and your client list. And I just wish you continued success and success for all your clients. And I can't wait to see all the exciting projects and things that you do next. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Thank you for having me on. Um, congrats on all you're doing. And I wish you 345 more episodes. <laughs> We'll see. I don't know. I just keep going, but yeah, that's thank amazing. you. That's not, that's, that's no small feat. I know it's not easy to do that. So uh, keep up the awesome work. Thank you. I do it because, because of the passion, the passion. That's right. Yeah. That's why. Tell. All right. Well, thanks so much. My guest today has been Andrew Chasen. He's the co-founder of Fresh Management. You can find out more about him and his, his chefs and tastemakers that he works with at freshmgmt.com. You can follow at freshmgmt and at Drew Chasen. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. Websites, bayerpublicrelations.com, sherrybayer.com, and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. My new book, my book is coming out in the spring, Chef Wise Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World by Fiden. And it is now available for pre-order at Amazon.com. You could just search for the words chef, the word chef wise, all one word, or search for my name and you should be able to find it. And thank you in advance. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Andrew and that's it for this show. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you as always for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.